chapter 6, starting at verse 1. We're going to go ahead and take it all the way down to verse 10. Paul says this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he has something when he has nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And especially those who are of the household of Pray. Father God, I just thank you so much. God, I thank you so much for this gospel. God, I thank you so much for this truth that you give to us. Father God, I'm thankful that just as we sang this morning, Lord, you invite us to come. God, you invite us to come with our burdens. You invite us to come with our failures. You invite us to come in our weaknesses. Father God, this morning we lay ourselves before you humbly. God, let us cast off pride. Let us cast off fear. Let us cast off doubt in this moment. Lord, let us hear from you. God, we are so thankful for your grace. And Lord, I pray that as we look outside of ourselves to how we can bear the burdens of those around us, Father God, I pray that it would be your grace that strengthens us to accomplish the work that you have for us. Father, we love you. Thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name. This morning we get into chapter 6 of the book of Galatians and this is our second to last week in this study on God's grace and how it applies to his children and how we, we have moved out from under the weight and the effects of the law and we have moved into a new covenant of grace and what that means for us. And so all of this has been leading up to God revealing to us that he has given us freedom from the law. But he's given us the law to continue to sanctify us, continue to guide us, to continue to lead us into the truths that he has for us. And so the last few weeks where we've been kind of shifting is from laying the groundwork from where we stand. And now he's showing us, revealing to us how we walk in this freedom, how we live in this freedom. You know, and I'm so thankful that, you know, last week, even though we weren't able to gather together and man, I, I, I love so much the gathering of God's people. And I think it is the the just ordained act of, of the community of God building together to be able to meet. But I am thankful that we have resources to our disposal to be able to continue to to kind of gather into a moment, lean into a moment together, even from a distance. And, and Brother Gary did a, a great job of kind of laying that out for us, what it means to walk by the Spirit and continuing on in that in response to kind of who we are and what we have in Christ. What is our responsibility in the sense of how we navigate our Christian faith with those around us, specifically in regards to their failures? And I think this is a big deal for us, and I think it's a thing for the church that too often we can lose focus on and what gospel kind of 
discipline what gospel intentions look like in the, in the context of a relationship with Christians who are navigating Christian life the same way we are. You know, and so this Sunday is actually the first day of Lent. And if you didn't grow up in a particular denomination of Christianity where you practice that, then you may not really be familiar with it. You may not talk about it a lot. And, you know, for me, I grew up practicing Lent in, in different types of ways. And, you know, as I've grown older, I've kind of began to understand what the intentions behind it are. You know, what the, the, uh, the, the how it can be beneficial in our Christian lives as we kind of navigate these these certain dates in the liturgical calendar that are kind of laid out to kind of remind us like how we have Easter and Christmas and, and all these things that kind of go in between that. But, you know, not that I believe that, that we practice it to gain something from God or to gain His grace, to merit His grace, but because of these practices that, that we're given to kind of refocus our efforts towards our calling. I really believe that this season, what it can really be great for is to help us refocus the intentions of our calling. And that's what Paul is using these scriptures when he's teaching the Galatians. He's refocusing their attentions on what it means to be gospel believers, navigating from gospel freedom and having gospel intentions within our relationships. You know, because what the season of Lent is about, just kind of as we kind of move into this message, and, and I think it's just so applicable, the season of Lent is about self-denial. The season of Lent is about trimming away the things in your life that are distracting us from the calling of God in our life. Trimming away at the things that we've become dependent on. Trimming away of the things that we have become uh, kind of uh, comfortable with that aren't moving us in a direction towards God. They're actually robbing those things from us, aren't edifying us. And so Paul uses the last two chapters of Galatians to inform and remind the people and us what it means to be free and that that freedom is meant to be lived in. That freedom is meant to be lived out. And so our title this morning and what our challenge is to be is to be burden bearers. That we would be burden bearers. And Paul will lay out what that looks like for us this morning. Ronnie, Paul, you might turn in 11 now, channel 11 now, just a little bit. What it means to be burden bearers. And I have two, two top, two, but the. Two points this morning that I pray that we can see what God has for us. And the first being that bearing burdens has a purpose. You know, when we're navigating relationships with other people, that there's a purpose to it. Not only a purpose to the relationship, but a purpose into how we step into the context of their struggles or the things they're dealing with or the things that they're navigating. And the main thing about burden bearing is understanding that it has a purpose, a very valuable, intentional purpose that has steps to it. Because I believe we have all kind of navigated the steps of what Paul lays out for us in this text. And then uh, we see in Galatians 6.1, he says this. He says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgressions, you who are spiritual should restore him. So the first thing that we see there is we see the people of the purpose. The people of the purpose. And he says, brothers. So he's speaking to Christians specifically. And so as he's kind of focusing in on who those people are that participate in this action of bearing burdens and walking alongside people in the struggles, he says, brothers, so he's speaking and a lot of times the male, uh, this is used to kind of communicate more of a broader spectrum of male and female when it says it's in sons or brothers or whatever, but it's speaking to all of us, men and women. 
in a sense of brothers when he says, and he says, you who are spiritual. So a lot of times, and, and I've heard it even in the context of conversation, when we hear that word, when we're talking about kind of bearing each other's burdens and being a help to uh, Christians who are either struggling with sin or struggling with some kind of difficulties in their lives, we read that and we think those who are spiritual. So we think to ourselves, whew, that's not me. You know, that they're talking about like somebody super spiritual. Like they're talking about those hardcore, hardcore prayers. They're talking about those hand-raised worshipers. Like they're talking about those people that are like super spiritual. That isn't me. But unfortunately for you and for us, that he's not speaking of some type of spiritual elite when he says this. He doesn't say, you know, he's not referring to some kind of super spiritual group of people. He's speaking to ordinary Christians. He's speaking to anyone who would make a claim to be a believer in Jesus and have the Spirit of God dwelling within you. So when he says, brothers, you who are spiritual, he's talking about those who are indwelled with the Holy Spirit. That you have a purpose, you have a responsibility, that we are the people within this purpose that God has called to accomplish this task. You know, James 5.19, he says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back. You will save his soul from death. Romans 15, 1 and 2, it says, We who are strong, and speaking of strong in the sense of that we have been indwelt with the resurrection power of Jesus within us, if we claim to be Christians, not some hierarchy, not some like, these people are here, then you're kind of here. No, it's all of us on this level that have the Spirit of God within us. He says that, that we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good. To build them up. This is the calling that God has given all of us. He's not giving it to some spiritual elite. He's not giving it to Sunday school teachers or worship leaders or pastors or priests or whoever. He's given it to Christians. People who have the spirit of God within us to accomplish the task that he's laid before us. And then so he begins to narrow down not only the people who participate, which are us. People who put our faith in God. But then he begins to reveal to us who those particular people are that we do this process for and with. And what does he say? He says... Anyone caught in transgression. And we can know that this anyone obviously includes Christians who are struggling through sin because Christians sin, right? But we also know that he's speaking about unbelievers also. Because if you jump down to Galatians 10, he says, So then as we have the opportunity to let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So he speaks of two separate people when he's speaking of who we do this type of good to, this burden bearing. And so we have to hear this morning that he's not only talking about the people we sit in church with, but he's talking about the people that we interact with on a day-to-day -day basis that maybe they even openly, they even openly reject God. He's saying that even those people that he calls us to lean into their lives to help bear the burdens of the struggles they go through, to maybe help even, and as we'll move now, we'll see even be honest with them about some of the things that they're doing because you have that relationship with them that you can be honest and kind of draw them back as we talked about in James uh, 5.19, drawing them back, bringing someone back. And so what the main thing for us as Christians, what we have to do for each other and what we should be doing, even for the people in the context of the relationships we have around us, it tells us that we can't overlook sin. We cannot overlook sin. We cannot overlook sin in our own lives. We cannot overlook sin in the lives of the people around us that Paul is kind of focusing attention towards, whether that's believer or unbeliever. Because when he says this, in this verse, when he says anyone caught in any transgression, he's obviously talking about some type of sin or rebellious act against God. But when it talks about being caught in this sin, it almost communicates it as this idea of a net, that someone has been entangled in a net, that they have been caught up in something 
and that this thing has gotten the upper hand. That there's this pattern, that there's this constant kind of uh, continuation of this issue that is just presenting itself, presenting itself, presenting itself. And maybe that's you this morning. And so what that should show us is that there is hope, even in the pattern of our sin, that God wants to remove us. God wants to help us. And not only will God do that, but he's called us as Christians to step into that space and to be of assistance to our Christian brothers and sisters and even unbelievers that are caught in patterns of sin. You know, maybe it's personal patterns of sin. Maybe it's uh, familial patterns of sin. You know, things that we have, you know, as, as uh, people, as we've grown up, or even as, as young adults or, or our students that are even here today, maybe the, the sins of our mothers and fathers or our grandparents or people around us, that these patterns of sin that have kind of just entangled us, that there is hope out of those things. And not only God will do that, but he's invited Christians to be a part of that process. You know, that we would not overlook it because, not because we want to just bring shame upon people. That's not the purpose. And you know, you know, anytime that this is misused, these verses and this idea, because a lot of people use this as an excuse to kind of hammer down on people. Man, they, they completely miss the point of what it means to be, be a, a gospel burden bearer or what it means to, to lean into the life of someone caught in a transgression. Because if it leads to shame, then we've missed the point. If it leads to guilt, then we've missed the point. But we should be pointing to something in Christ that relieves those things, not to excuse the sin, but to show a better way than the sin. And obviously, this is a process. And we'll kind of see that process as we move through. But when it talks about being caught, it's talking about someone who is overtaken, even to the point uh, of the the intensity of being caught red-handed. I mean, we have some specific examples of of some people being caught red-handed in the the midst of sin. I mean, Peter denied Jesus in front of Jesus as he was going to die for his sins, and Jesus sought him out. You know, the, the woman caught red-handed in the midst of the adultery, thrown before Jesus and encouraged and, and instructed by the Pharisees, you have to punish her, you have to do something for her. And what did Jesus do? He leaned down in the dirt where she was. And he stood in the gap and he, and he supported her, not excusing the sin, but pointing her to a better way. But casting away her accusers because they were without. He told him, you who were without sin, cast the first on You know, typically where the church, for us, where we struggle is to deal with people that we respond out of anger and out of emotion instead of the biblical practice of what it means to lean into people's transgressions and to help them in this way that he continues on. And he tells us that as Christians, when we're doing church discipline or when we're trying to lean into someone who has been caught up in transgressions, we're trying to lead them into a better way. He tells us what our goal should be. In Galatians 6, 1, the second half, he said that you, spiritual Christian people, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And then he says, keep watch on yourself. So not only do we see the people of the purpose, but we see the point of the purpose is to restore. To restore in a spirit of gentleness. Now this word restore is the same word that can be used as a medical term used to describe resetting a dislocated limb or putting it back into place. You know, and, and, and some of the people in here this morning know this story, but, uh, you know, a couple, few years ago, I actually dislocated my ankle. Uh, actually, uh, dislocated it, broke it. Uh, it was nasty. Um, if, if I knew I wouldn't get 
get uh, get in trouble for saying it. I would say it was equivalent to childbirth, even though I know it wasn't, so don't kill me for saying that. But it was the most excruciating pain I'd ever experienced in my entire life, uh, and it was nasty. Um, you know, Matt Bean, he, he was there holding it for me, and I'm still screaming. And there's kids all over the place. We're in the, you know, I was doing a very manly activity. Um, I happened to slip on a piece of paper dodging a uh, marshmallow. But... Um, you know, it, it, was, it was obvious that it was dislocated. You know, it's one of those things where you go into the ER and people gasp as they walk by you uh, when it's pointing the opposite direction that it should be going. Uh, and so it was obvious that it was not there. And so what this dislocation was, this dislocation was painful for me. It was unusable because it was not in the place it was designed to be. You know, and not only and, and because it was not in its natural relationship to the rest of my body. You know, it, it, it limited my motion, it limited my strength, it limited my functionality and my participation. And, you know, when I was laying in that space preparing for them to fix it, thank God, you know, Matt or the, you know, anybody else that was around me in that moment didn't just grab it and just start turning things because that would have been absolutely miserable. But I'm very thankful that, um, that they were very gentle with it. And that uh, a nice dosage of meds knocked me out in a split second, woke up and it was done, and I was very thankful. You know, the idea of resetting it freaked me out. I would, just to be honest, when, I, when, they, when they told me what they were going to do, I was like, nope, that's not what you're going to do. <laughs> you know, but, and, and I couldn't have done it on my own. But when it was over, and it was back in place, the pain was still there, but there was a process. You know, but that pain was a healing pain. It was sore afterwards, and it required some rehab and some recovery. You know, the way in which we restore a believer or an unbeliever into the family of God, bringing them back into the fold, it's kind of reset, you know, because all of us, God's intention for us, when we were born, when we were created, when we came into being, was to be in the family of God. That is our that is the position at which we were created to be. And so, believer or non-believer, we can all be restored. Because in a sense, we've all been dislocated. We've all been kind of removed from that natural position that we were meant to be. And because in our life, maybe as a Christian, if we're struggling through sin or a non-believer, being kind of out of place of where we're intended to be, it kind of hinders our strength. It hinders our functionality. It hinders the way in which we lead our families as husbands and wives. It hinders the way in which we lead the people around us because we're not in that position that we're intended to be. And so what God wants to do and what God calls us children to do is to lean into that space and to begin to reset what has been dislocated. And it is going to be painful. It is going to hurt. But not only that, for us as Christians, we have to understand that it is a process that requires gentleness and it requires kindness. Because I don't know about you, but the people that I've dealt with that are just stuck in patterns of sin, if you go into their lives and you yell at them and you point your finger at them and you try to tell them how a ashamed you are of them and that there's better for you and all these things in a way that doesn't come across as which you have better intentions for them or you have love and concern for them. It, it, I mean, it, if you've tried to have that conversation in that type of way, if you're honest with yourselves, what have they done? They've tucked their tail and they've ran. Because it's like grabbing that limb and trying to just yank it back into place. And that's not what God's called us to do. He's called us with patience. He's called us with concern, with compassion. To lean into the space of that Christian or non-Christian that has been dislocated from the position in which God has intended for us to be. And he has called us to be patient and gentle. 
And that's not easy. Listen, our, our immediate, especially when it's someone close to us, we want to just freak out. And when it's our kids, you know, we want to just freak out. When it's our friends, we want to just lay in the water. You're an idiot. Like, what is wrong with you, right? Like, we get so angry when people sin, and, and we should. There be a, should be a sense of us that sees the weight and the heaviness of sin. But when we begin the restorative process, leaning into the life of this individual, the Bible tells us to be gentle. 2 Timothy 2.25, correcting his opponents with gentleness, that God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. And that's what we want. We want repentance that leads to the knowledge of truth. And how do we do that? Through correcting with gentleness. Because by not correcting in gentleness, we don't lead them to repentance leading to the knowledge of truth. We read them, lead them to repentance that leads to the knowledge of shame, leads to the knowledge of guilt, leads them to the knowledge that doesn't understand who God is, but just understands this list of things that they should be doing to accomplish the work, to accomplish this place that God has for them. But if, when we're dealing with people in a grace manner, with the grace of discipline, with the grace of restoration, He tells us to do it with a sense of gentleness, Granting that will grant repentance that will give them the knowledge of truth. That's what we want people to know truth. We don't want people to just know how to look like good Christians. We want them to know truth. We want them to know who God is and what God has done. And you know what? That takes time. That takes patience. That takes not giving up on people. 2 Thessalonians 3. He says, do not regard him as an enemy or warn him as a brother. And that's not easy. I'm not saying that to easy by any means. That's what God's called us to do. In this graceful activity that he's called us to in being burden bearers, he's called us to not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. And we have to. That takes, but that takes us being mindful of sin. That takes us being mindful of people. That takes us being in Involved with people, but within that, what he tells us to do to keep us from navigating that space in the, in the improper way, he says, Keep watch on yourself. And what he's telling us there is by keeping our own weakness in view, will keep us from ever approaching these situations with a conceited superiority, pointing out theirs to compare how much better we are, but seeing theirs to step in and to reset. That's what he says, Keep. Watch on yourself. Remember that we're sinful too. Remember that we've struggled at points in our life. Remember that at any moment we could slip into things and that we would need them to do the same thing for us. In Galatians 6, 2, it says, Bear one another's burdens. When it speaks of burdens, it's speaking of a heavy weight that slows us. A heavy weight, a weight that impedes our movement. A heavy weight that smothers us. This is a weight that cannot be lifted on our own. When the Bible talks about our sin, when the Bible talks about our status before a holy God, and the Bible talks about this barrier that keeps us from getting into God's graces by our own works, they call it burdens. Because it is not something we can lift on our own. We needed God through Jesus for that. And the burdens of our day today, we need each other. That's why it is important. Online church is great. And I'm so thankful for our online community. But there's nothing that takes the place of God's people coming together, hopefully in a space of grace where we can be broken. Where we don't have to come through those doors and act like our life is all together.
together. Because if we do that, if we have a church, as a church have created an environment like that, no one ever knows anybody's burdens because we put on these masks of perfection like we have no issues. But we have to allow ourselves to be vulnerable. We have to allow ourselves to come in and say, you know what? Me as a man, there are things I struggle with. As a lady, there are things you struggle with. As sons and daughters, there are things you struggle with. And this is the space where we make those things known so brothers and sisters can stand up next to us and bear those burdens because burdens are too heavy to carry on our own. You know, and burdens are everyday tasks. Maybe they're raising kids. Maybe they're difficulties or problems that we're navigating at work. Maybe they're difficulties or problems we're navigating in different relationships. But to bear burdens, we must be close to the burden, sharing the load, just redistributing the weight. And part, and this is part of the recovery and the rehab process after restoring and resetting what has been displaced. You know, for me, whenever I, I, mine was reset, and whenever I had, you know, began that process of trying to reclaim the strength that I once had, it took time. I couldn't even barely stand on one foot without falling over. I couldn't hardly walk without a limp. You know, and I wore this, this plastic belt, and I'm clanking down the hallways, and uh, KK would walk away from me because it was, I'm limping everywhere I go, you know, it just looks, I'm not, not she didn't really, but it was, I mean, like, you know, limping everywhere you go, and it's like, I'm not trying to look cool, like, this is a cool limp, this is a painful limp, this is an impeded limp. You know, but it took time and people in our lives who we're working through sinful issues with, patterns of sin with. And as we reset, we kind of get them back to this point where they're at least believing and seeing that, you know, what God does want to do something with me. God does want to work through me. That this process begins. And you know what? They're going to limp for some time. They're not going to be able to do some of the things we can do as Christians who have already been through some of those processes. And what we have to do is be patient. What well, we have to do is be patient. My poor wife and my brother, they pushed me around in a wheelchair in San Antonio in July while we went to SeaWorld so that our, so we could have a vacation, you know, for uh, sweaty legs and all these things, you know. That, but this is the thing, you know, this is the kind of patience we have to have. We may be pushing people around in the elements for a little bit with the hope that eventually things will kind of pick up, but it's within that patience. I'm thankful they didn't just leave me in the shampoo pit or something. Yeah. But they were patient with him. As we should be patient because, and he tells us at the end of verse 2, that you have so fulfilled the law of Christ. And the way that we do this, if we can't, you know, because a lot of times we hear things like this, and especially when we're not navigating this outward mindset, we begin to immediately think to ourselves, well, people, why aren't people being that for me? Why isn't someone doing that for me? You know, that what is hindering most of our activity of being burden bearers is because we're wondering why people aren't doing it for us. We're waiting for someone to help bear our burdens. We're waiting for somebody to come do this for me. And that is not what God has called us to do. He says, no, 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 no. That is not where our mindset starts. Our mindset does not start with ourselves waiting on someone to come do it for us. The way that that process begins is by us putting ourselves out there. Even in the midst, we all have burdens. We all have issues. And there will never be a point in our lives until we stand with God in glory that we will not have burdens. You know, as our kids grow, as they get from, from this age to this age, you know, there's different, there's different struggles. You know, they're, 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 they're simpler to more complicated. You know, it's like it doesn't change. We continue. If you have kids, or if you don't, if you're working, your work environment, you always have something. There's always something. You know, in our day to day, there's always something. So burdens will never be absent from us. 
than the thing that we can't do. Just imagine if every person in this church sat around and waited for someone to come bear their burdens. No one would deal with anybody. No one would help anybody. And he hasn't called just me. He hasn't called just the leadership team. He hasn't called just Sunday school teachers to do those things. He says those who are spiritual, in love with the Spirit of God, that this is the process you've been encouraged and called and instructed to participate in. We have to, we have to get outside of ourselves. We have to stop waiting for someone to do it to us before we do it to someone else. Lean in. Be others focused because this is interwoven into our obedience and worship of our holy God. We are fulfilling the law of Christ when we get outside of ourselves and start bearing the burdens of other people to help level the load. And the second last thing this morning will be this. That bearing burdens requires personal practice. Bearing burdens requires personal practice. And so there's something with us. There's something with us that we must be doing to be prepared to bear loads. You know, this doesn't mean that we don't put ourselves out there, but to be in the right mindset, to be able to navigate this space, we see this because he tells us in verse 3. He says, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And so what he is telling us when he says for, he tells us that if you make the mistake of verse 3, we can't accomplish verse 2. If we make the mistake of verse 3, we can't bear burdens with other people. And so what is the mistake of verse 3? He says, for if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. He's calling us to the freedom to practice burden bearing that is found in gospel-based self-view. So what is a gospel-based self-view? This isn't meant to tell us that to look at ourselves as worthless or garbage. That's not what this is saying. But it's telling us not to elevate ourselves and our own needs above anyone else. You know, and that is not the way our culture tells us to act. That is not the way that the world will ever be. But it tells us, God tells us in gospel-based self-view. That it's not, not looking at ourselves as less worthy of, 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 of the calling that God has for us. Not looking at ourselves as garbage, but he's telling us not to elevate ourselves above anyone. Because the thing is, when we live in pride, pride doesn't just say I'm better than you. It says I'm more important than you. Pride says, I'm more important than you. And so what does that do? And that's our view, and that's the view that he's telling us here for if he thinks he's something, when he's nothing, he deceives himself. What that does is it, it's that person that sits and waits. I'm going to not do anything until somebody comes and does something for me. That is us telling ourselves that we're more important than anyone else. And it's not that we think we are nothing of any value, but we understand that apart from Christ, we are nothing. This is a Christ-centered humility. That without Jesus and what he's done for me, I'm nothing. John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. 1 Corinthians 3, 7, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. 2 Corinthians 10, 12, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves. But when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. So it tells us. It tells us that if we have a gospel-based view, that it will lead us outside of ourselves. Otherwise, we will always elevate ourselves as more important. And our time, our energy, is more important than someone else's. And it will rob us of participating in the act of burden-bearing with others. And then he 
continues on, how we bear, uh, how we do this, our, the, this personal practice that he's called us to. First, it starts with a view, a gospel-based view of ourselves and how our relationship with other people. But also this in uh, Galatians 6, 4, he says, let each one test his own work. And so what he's calling us to do there is to evaluate our opportunities, to assess our gifts, to assess our talents that God has given us and our own responses to him, to see our own work, to, to, to get outside of ourselves, to, to evaluate how we are utilizing what God has given us. Maybe it's finances, maybe it's time, maybe it's talents, whatever it might be, that God has called us to, to evaluate, to test our own work and how we're utilizing what God has given us. Is our work pointing to our comfort? Is what we are doing and how we are living our Christian life pointing to our comfort, our good? Or is it pointing to the work of the gospel in our lives? Second Corinthians 13.5 says, Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Tells us test our own intentions and opportunities and gifts. How are we utilizing those things? And then he continues on and he tells us because of this. That we know who we are and have a gospel view that we evaluate our own works. Because he says for each in verse 5. For each will have to bear his own load. And so a lot of times we look at that and we feel like there's a contradiction there. That God has called us to bear the burdens of other people. But then he says here that we have to carry our own load. And so what's he trying to say here? Well, the, I love the way the ESV lays it out because it uses different words. Other translations sometimes use the same word. But these words are different. And they're meant to communicate a different type of weight. When it says burden earlier, when we talk about bearing the burdens of other people, the burden we said was a heavy weight that is more than one person to carry it was, it was more than one man or woman could carry. But when it says here in verse 5, load, it's speaking of kind of a backpack. It's speaking of this pack that is meant to be carrying essentials for a task or a journey. And this is an individual responsibility, right? We don't share the load of a backpack. A backpack is something that I carry. The backpack is something that we as individuals, we carry essential things with. You know, I don't put hygiene materials in my backpack when I go to school, right? I put the things that I need for that task. And so when he's telling us this, he's bringing our attention to the fact that God has given us time, talents, opportunities, experiences, even failures or mistakes. He's given us those things that are in our pack. And he says that this pack is what you'll have to carry. This pack is what you have and what this pack is for. It's not meant to just walk around and to wear yourself out wearing it. But this pack is meant to carry the things that are essential for you to carry out the task of burden bearing and gospel evangelism with the people around us. That God has given you talents. God has given you opportunities. God has been giving you difficulties in your life. And situations that have pressed against you. And that you are recovering through. Or have recovered from. That are essential to your load. And how you navigate the world around you. The path of my Christian responsibility. That only individually we are responsible for. That when we properly carry our load, we can assist with the burdens. When we properly carry our load, that's when we can assist with the burdens. 
we can't let this be our excuse because God's already given and so if I could wrap it up with this it would be this you know why why should we even care about everyone else's issues why should we care about the fact that other people are struggling through certain things or navigating the chapters of life whether it's you know kids or marriage or school or work whatever it might be church we bear burdens of others by carrying our load because Christ carried our burdens to the cross and he gave our load value you know, if Jesus wouldn't have died on the cross, our load would be worthless. Our talents, our time, our failures, our weaknesses, all of those things would be absolutely worthless if Jesus wouldn't have taken the burdens that our sin laid upon us and nailed them to the cross, relieving us of that weight, relieving us of the shame and guilt that came with that. And what it did, when Jesus took our burdens to the cross, you know what it did with our pack, with our load, with the backpack of the essential experiences of life that we had? You know what it did? It gave it value. You know what it said to Jake? It said to Jake, you know, the sinful issues that you've navigated, the struggles that you've had, those things are not worthless anymore. They are experiences that you use. They are in your pack. Now, to lean into the life of that person called a trespass, to lean into the life of that person that is bearing some type of burden, and now you use it. It has value. It has intention. It has purpose now. Separate from the sacrifice of Jesus, the suffering that we experience is just suffering for suffering's sake. The weakness that we have has no strength on our own because it failed with our inabilities. But because Jesus took our burdens to the cross and died for our sins, he immediately gave my weakness. What does the Bible tell us? That in my weakness that we are made strong. That God attributes strength even in our weakness. That God attributes strength even to where we feel like we don't have the ability that God wants to utilize us. Utilize our inabilities. Utilize our strengths. Utilize, uh, utilize our weakness to make strengths. That God is doing that. He attributed value to our life the moment he bore our sin on the cross. There is no situation that we navigate anymore that is wasted. There's no marital struggle that you navigate that is wasted anymore. There's no parenting issue that you navigate that is wasted anymore. Because if you're not experiencing it, someone else is. And so what now God has given you is he's given you the success or he's given you the value of that experience to be able to lean into the life of someone else. Getting outside of ourselves. Stop being selfish. Stop being self-focused. Stop being prideful where we're elevating ourselves is more important than other people. And leaning into those spaces with people because they have burdens that are not meant to be carried alone and they need the weight redistributed. That's what God has placed us together for. He has not placed us together in the church of God to be isolated in bubbles. He has not placed us to be isolated from each other, but he's called us to community. He's called us to a community of believers, a space of grace where we support and encourage each other. Without Christ's sacrifices, my will, my failures, my weakness, my inabilities, and our worthless experiences that remove me from the purpose of God and the comfort of his presence. But because Jesus took our burden to the cross, now we can find comfort and purpose in God and in the midst of the context of our faith. And it's because of that that I have a calling and that you have a calling and a responsibility to bear the burdens of those around me in the church and outside of the church. 
participating in this process that I think is just so easily laid out with restoration, with, uh, with relieving the weight and rejoicing and seeing what God has done. It takes patience and it takes time. And then I want to just finish with these last two verses and how do we do this? In verse 9, he says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So how do we do this? How do we continue to do good? How do we just engage our opportunities? The first thing is that we carry our own load. That we see the, the talent. We see the opportunities. We see the experiences that God has given us as useful tools in our relationship with believers, that we engage with what God has put in our pack, our gifts, our opportunities and resources, even our failures and weaknesses, making sure our goal with these is to honor God, pointing to Him outside of ourselves, outside of ourselves. And then the last thing being to share in the burden of others, restoring someone caught in sin with patience and gentleness, being mindful of the needs of people around us, and not waiting Wondering when someone will do it for me, but striving to be the sharer. Striving to be the sharer with those who need us to step in. That we would be those burden bearers for each other. That we would be those people that are engaging the path, the responsibility that God has given us. We would be engaging God's word. That we would be praying and seeking after him in our day to day. So we would remember that we have value in the path and the load that God has given us. To be able to lean in and be burden bearers for those around us. Whatever that looks like in our lives. The church, let's pray together. Father God, I just want to thank you for this time. God, I thank you for the truth of your word. God, I thank you that you've given us the example of what it means to live and walk in the freedom of your gospel. Father God, I pray that we would see that you've called us to be burden bearers. God, I pray that you see... That we see that you've called us to use the path, the experiences of life that you've given us for the good of others, God. Not to just sit back, not to just wait on someone to do something for us, but God, to see that you have called us to be others aware. God, others focused. That it doesn't mean we neglect our health, it doesn't mean we neglect our own spiritual health, God, but you've called us to that. You've called us to our own load, that we have a responsibility with the path that you've given us. So God, I pray that we start there. God, I pray that we would start in our relationship with you, leaning into you, seeking after you. God, seeing the strength and the value of our path to go out and share them with the burdens of those around us because that is our ultimate responsibility. Father God, let us be a people, let us be a church that see outside of ourselves. God, let us not get comfortable in our own ways. God, let us not get angry or impatient with those who are caught in transgressions. But God, let us restore them, relocate them to the place and the position in which they can be fully strong, be fully utilized, be fully mobilized in you. God, I pray that we would be a church that celebrates that process. Father God, I just... Pray that, Lord, that we would just constantly just be putting our faith and trust in you, God. And if we, anyone here this morning has not put their faith in your saving work on the cross, God, maybe they've depended on their own work, their own ability, and they're trying to clean themselves up before they come. Like, God, I, I pray that they would know that you've called us to come, broken pieces and all, 
and allow you to begin a process of relocating and reset us. God, we just thank you for your goodness. God, I just ask you to speak, Lord, and just to continue to move through us even as we leave here this morning. God, we love you and thank you and praise you in Jesus' holy name.